I remember the, um, the first time that I ever went to Israel. It was right after my confirmation in 10th grade at Beth Am in Los Altos, just down on the peninsula. And this is, this is way back before the intifadas. There was this Bay Area synagogue-wide trip to Israel. We had five buses from all the Jewish teens from all over the Bay Area. I remember the Emmanuel bus, the Kol Shafar bus, the Peninsula Temple Shalom buses, and we would have these gatherings right before we left on this six-week journey, hundreds of us, where we'd be away from our families and then tour the Holy Land. And that's, that's really what it was. There was nothing complicated. It wasn't controversial. And it was my first international flight. I remember I had my face pressed up against the window looking down as we raced over the earth. And it felt like we were flying towards the past, about to this place which I'd heard about, I'd talked about, I'd dreamt about my entire life. And as we touched down in Ben Gurion Airport, and this was before Ben Gurion got fancy, it's quite fancy now, our plane had rolled to a stop, the stairwell, the stairway came up to the plane, we went down the stairs. And then without hesitation, now I know it wasn't all of us, but most of us, of these 16-year-olds, we dropped to the ground, and we kissed the warm cement. We were home. We were in Israel. And now many decades later, I'm standing on the bima of one of the synagogues that I traveled with when I was a teen, and I'm leaving for Israel after Shabbat tomorrow night to lead our synagogue trip. And stand next to two of our students as they become bar mitzvah in Jerusalem. Now, the thing is, I, I no longer feel the way that I did when I was 16. And let me be clear, I still love Israel. I love Israel deeper now than I did before, but it's different. Just like I'm different than I was with my one-dimensional view of Israel. I've grown and I've changed, and I've lived in Israel for two full years since that first time that I was there and I kissed that tarmac. My life for Israel has deepened, and it's become more nuanced and complex. When I landed on that tarmac, I only had this mythological view of Israel as taught to me at Camp Swig and my synagogue. But since that moment from when I landed, I've hid in bomb shelters. I've heard the explosions nearby. I've missed terrorist, terrorist attacks just by a few hours standing in those places that then blew up. I lost friends in terrorist attacks. I learned all the nooks and the crannies of Jerusalem in the old city. I spent an entire night running around the rooftops of Jerusalem, taking pictures as it snowed. I slept on the beaches in Tel Aviv. I backpacked in the desert. Spent the first year of my marriage in Jerusalem. I had friends make Aliyah and other Israeli friends in the tech community that have planted companies that have blossomed like the Jaffa oranges of this generation. And all of those different lenses, my love maintains just as in any real organic relationship, there are nuances and changes as we change. But more and more, when I speak this way, I feel like I'm from a different generation and from a different time. I was speaking with a member of our community just earlier this week at the Giants game. 
and was told how he spoke to a teen in a major national Jewish leadership program with 20 highly selected, everyone had to apply for it. And they were asked if having a connection to Israel is important for the identity of a Jew. Guess how many said that they agreed with this statement? And it's not a wild statement. It's not who feels love for Israel, who thinks it's their homeland. No, it simply was the question, is having a connection to Israel important for a Jewish identity? Out of the 20, guess how many said they felt that way? One. One teen out of 20 said they felt this way. Now, many of us, we shake our heads. We're bereft. We hear this and we think, how could this be? It's Israel. 2,000 years we dreamed of having Israel. And it was not one in 20 who felt this way over that 2,000-year period. I want to say it's 100%, but it's hard to say when I'm in a synagogue that was built facing north and not east. But the rest of sanctuaries in the world were facing Jerusalem. Every Jew on the planet would face Jerusalem. The Jews in Africa, in China, in Kiev, in London, in Vienna, in the Lower East Side, and in the Richmond and San Francisco. And as we would meditate and we would pray for the world we would dream of, we would face the place that represented that idea. That's what Israel was. During Passover, when we talk about being enslaved and then finding freedom, and then we make this audacious jump that that freedom, it wasn't just for me, but it was freedom for all people in the world. And then you end every single Seder, every Passover experience, even in Jerusalem to this day, and you yell, next year in Jerusalem. Israel and Jerusalem were inextricably linked together with what Judaism was and what the world could be. We used it as the ideal to compare everything else in our world so that we could be dissatisfied. If there's homelessness in my city, I should know a very different reality compared to it. There might be homelessness here, but never in Jerusalem, not in the city of peace. I would never be satisfied with 99.9% .9 of people being housed because in the direction that I pray, that place that one day we prayed we would have, that number is 100% housed. But in the last 50 years, we have moved away from viewing Israel as an ideal, and instead we've only spoken about it as a place. The, the result is us not being unified. Because the idea, we could all agree on that. In the latest poll that the Pew Research Center did, 45% of Americans now feel that Israel is a core part of their identity. Only 45%. Now, we all think we know the answer to this. Israel is complex. That one-dimensional narrative that some of us grew up with, it's not reflective of the reality that we live in. When I teach Israel to my 12th graders, I do teach about biblical Israel. What it's meant to us in the diaspora, what early Zionism looked like, the War of Independence, the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, the Lebanon War, the Oslo Accords, the Anifadas, the settlements, both the radical ones and the ones that are just suburbs, the economic disparities in Israel, gay rights, 
how anti-Israel on campus can be code for anti-Jew. It's complicated. And if I just make my identity directly linked to a nation state, if the government does something that I don't agree with, what does that do to my identity? It's much easier to believe in the idea of America versus the messiness of governing in America. Before 1948, all we had to agree on was the idea of Israel, not the actual Israel. And while all of this makes sense, it's incredibly depressing because the future then is bleak. Because it's not as if the future is going to get less complex. And complexity is what has seemingly made the connection with Israel so muddy. This week there was an article in the J by Jonathan Jacoby who talks about standing at the Hollywood Bowl 55 years ago at a rally for the survival of Israel. And now he questions if Israel will survive. And to be honest with you, what strikes me the most is how quickly as a people we've seemed to have forgotten where we were. That in the 1930s, and what Israel would have meant. Where we were every single year before that in the last 2,000 years, what Israel would have meant to us to actually have that nation state. But in such a short period of time, we seem to question if things were better than the way they used to be. And boy, did that sound familiar. Now, why does it sound so familiar? Because we've done this before. This is not our first time. Rabbi Donnell Hartman, he points out that this is the exact same thing that we did when we left Egypt. Egypt was hell on earth. We were enslaved for hundreds of years. Our children were murdered. We were stuck. And then in this week's Torah portion, we're two years out from the Exodus. We're free. The memory of Egypt it's not only not very far off, but Moses even commands the people to remember the Exodus this week. We're given the instructions on how to do the Passover Seder to create memory. And then, to make sure we get the point, in the exact same Parsha, they could have cut it, they didn't, they kept it in there, same Parsha. We then have the people of Israel complaining about the food that they're eating and how much better it was in Egypt. And it's mind-boggling. Can't they remember what things were like in Egypt? They had dreamt of freedom, but it turned out to be a little bit more complex than you would have imagined. But the fact is that when I talk to you about Egypt, we're all in agreement in this room about that freedom was much better than being in Egypt. So what happened? How is it that that generation in the desert is so conflicted? We look at them, and we think, well, they're just immature. Rabbi Donnell Hartman argues that what we see in the Torah is that sometimes it takes a few generations to make memory and to mature. If you look at what we're doing in the divided and the conflicted nature of Jews today, some of us are as dismayed as Moses was. But where wisdom comes from is having the long view that it's been a very short time since we've actually been able to go back to Israel and then in just 14 hours come right back to San Francisco. We may need a few generations from now that are more mature 
than we are, that have developed the appropriate memory of what Israel is and what it actually meant to be in the diaspora without an Israel. But that memory development, it doesn't just magically happen. It happens by telling the story and learning and relating, just as Moses implored us to do in the desert with a totally divided generation. He knew the journey to being a unified people, it would not happen overnight, but would happen slowly and methodically, turning the story of our past and our present over and over and over again to this day. And in that process of turning it over and over, as we changed, as the world changed, then the complexities of our own realities would mesh with the memory of where we had been and where we were. That's, that's the job of each of us in this generation, and then in the next, and then in the one following that. Just as we re-roll the Torah every single year, so too shall we, to reflect on what it means to be a people who was developed when we were powerless, and now are a people who is powerful. Because this is new. It's different. And if we keep engaging, we will mend ourselves back to where a generation in front of us will lay their hands on that tarmac, and they will be unified in a way that today we can't even imagine. Because all we're doing today is laying the foundation. We're actually laying the runway for them to land, and then ultimately for them to take off. Shabbat Shalom.